As of right now, recording this episode, Nudge Podcast has a total of 1,231,705 plays. Apparently, over 300,000 different people have tuned in from over 150 different countries. Now, when most podcasts hit 1 million downloads, they make a bit of a song and dance of it. Perhaps a, a bonus episode or a special Q&A. I didn't. In fact, honestly, I didn't think anyone would care. But my guest today says that was a big mistake. He thinks I've harmed the show's growth by not sharing this. In today's episode, he'll share why. All of that coming up after this quick break. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct-to-consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm welcoming Thomas McKinley back to the show. Thomas is creator and founder of Ari, a weekly newsletter sharing the latest scientific discoveries in marketing. Here's Thomas sharing the backstory behind Ari, explaining why he created the newsletter. It started from a problem that I, I felt really deeply and then really annoyed me and, and I found absurd. Every year, scientists from the world's best universities, they discover hundreds of things that we should do differently to be more effective. But the problem is that only very few giant businesses, say an Amazon or a Walmart, have the teams of PhDs and, and scientists in-house and the time and the money to analyze and apply these discoveries to then tweak their business and then put these things into action. So everyone else, we're, we're all just left behind to rely on biased opinions or you know those sketchy, super secret tips to 10x your sales. So we fixed it. My team and, and I, uh, so this is my team of, of PhDs and experienced marketers, we review over 10,000 marketing studies that are published every year. We look for and we find the, the top 1% and we turn those into practical recommendations. Nobody has time or the ability often to read and analyze 20 page dense research papers. So we do it for you. Now, if you subscribe to Thomas's newsletter, you'll notice something very interesting. At the start of every newsletter, he states the exact number of recipients the email has, the exact number of people who are sent the email. This isn't by chance. Thomas has some reliable evidence to back up this approach, and he encouraged me to copy this tactic. This is extremely powerful. It's an extremely powerful use of social proof. Make sure that you show the number of sales that your product gets or the number of views that you get. Yes, this is pretty popular and you've probably seen it around, but I'm still surprised at how many don't use it. Uh, so really, if you're not using it, I highly, highly encourage you to do that. Uh, the study saw up to 58% higher purchase intentions thanks to this form of social proof. This study from 2021 is called Social Selling Cues. 
It was conducted online and the researchers tested showing participants a product page with or without views next to the product. So say you're on a sales page for an e-bike. The researchers found people were 56% more likely to buy when the sales page included one additional line of text saying that 1,560 people had viewed this product. And in another variation of the study, people saw that 390 people had bought the bike and that made people 53.5% more likely to buy. But be wary showing that only a few people have bought the product doesn't have the same impact. In the study, some participants saw that just 39 people had bought the product and that only boosted purchase intent by 6%. Look, it's still better than not including the figure, but it's nowhere near as high as before. So if you want to apply this principle, but your product has only a few sales, then Thomas has a solution for you. One question I get a lot is, okay, I don't have enough product sales yet. Now here's the great news is that if you don't yet have enough product sales, you can show your product's number of views. And that has almost the same effect as showing the number of sales, already at relatively low numbers. So, you know, a couple of hundred product views, it's already having a huge effect on that signal of probably how popular and high quality your product is. One thing you need to be careful with is if you start off showing the number of product views, once the product view numbers start to go up to say, you know, a few thousand, a few tens of thousands, it's better that you switch to the number of product sales. Because once we start reaching those, you know, 10,000, 15,000, these sort of larger numbers, people stop processing those numbers and they start to lose meaning. So the effect weakens quite quickly. So start off by showing your product views if you're just launching a product and then quickly switch to product sales numbers as soon as you have enough. This works due to social proof. We follow the actions of others and product views or purchases by others are a signal of popularity. We think if others have checked it out or brought it, then it must be good. And I should have used this tactic for my show. I should have announced when the show hit a million downloads. Perhaps I should also share exactly how many people listen to each episode because doing so will only make people trust the show more and thus make folks more likely to listen. So when your product has few sales, show the views that product has. And when it has lots of sales, show the amount of sales it has. But always show one because doing so dramatically boosts purchase intent. And here's another thing. If your product is brand new, you can tweak the time frame to make your stats look more impressive. You can also you know, change the number of product sales and product views you want to show by defining a certain time window, right? So you can say within the last 24 hours or within the last 30 days or 90 days even. It really depends on what you're, what you're selling and what you're, what you're giving, what, what type of product and service it is. But I do see marketers and businesses often overthinking this, uh, that, oh, that's too large of a time window. That's too small of a time window. No, I, usually it isn't. You know, you can be quite flexible. But let's say you have a different problem. Let's say you're sold out of a number of different products. Perhaps these tactics have been so successful that half of your stock is sold out. What should you do? Should you hide these sold out goods from customers or should you show them? I asked Thomas. We're tempted. We're tempted often when something sells out to just remove it, hide it, um, or 
just not really think about it so much. But this can be a very powerful technique that, that you can use as a social proof uh, within reason. Yeah. So there's a certain boundary and proportion that you need to follow. So let's say that you have a few products that are sold out, products or product options. So like a certain color of a certain product. Now, try to keep some that you keep showing. The ideal proportion to have of how many products or options that you're showing that are sold out is between 10 and 30%. When you do this, the effect and experiments was was very big. Uh, it, it could lead to an increase of sales of up to 31%. But why do you need to show this proportion? So on the one hand, you want to show just enough so that you show that you're popular, you're very popular, there's some strong social proof that a lot of people want your products. And when a lot of people seem to want your products, you tend to want that too. Showing 30% of your sold out product options boosts social proof and increases sales. For those new to the show, social proof is a behavioural bias that means most of us opt for the popular choice. Walk past a restaurant on holiday with a long line of people queuing out the door and you'll want to go in. See a sign at your local pub showcasing which beer is the most popular and you'll want to try that beer. Showing sold out goods is a lateral way of applying this. If a product is sold out, people see it as a signal of high quality. Enough people wanted to buy it that it ran out. People assume that other similar products will also be of high quality, so they're more likely to buy them. The 2021 study called The Effects of the Proportion of Sold-Out Options on Purchase Behaviour is a fairly simple study. In one version of the experiment, participants are shown a USB cable where no sold-out options were visible, and in this version, 73% of people said they would buy. And then a second group of participants saw the exact same USB cable, but also saw that two out of the four colours were sold out. Now, 95% of participants said they would buy. So it went from 73% to 95% by just showing that some of the colours were sold out. This seems irrational. Reducing choice shouldn't increase demand, but it does. It's classic scarcity and social proof combining to make something more popular. But be warned, overuse this, showing too many sold out goods can backfire. But if you show too many sold out products, we start to go into a backfire effect. And, and this, is a, this is an effect called uh, psychological reactance. It's a, so, so we have this negative effect of, of reactance that people start having when they see that you have too many sold out products. Why? Because they feel that you're constraining their choice and nobody likes to have that feeling. So when that happens to us, like we tend to just leave and maybe go and buy from a competitor or we don't like to be forced into certain choices. So keep it between 10 and 30%. That's the ideal window of how many solar products you should be showing. As a reminder, in that study, purchase intent went up to 95% when two out of four colours were sold out, but it dropped down to 83% when four out of six colours were sold out. So don't show all of your sold out products. Try to only show a third. I'm sure most of us will know this feeling well of being a bit pissed off by seeing too many sold out options. It's something I experience when using booking.com. You go to book a hotel and suddenly you see that the top five results are sold out. This definitely triggers scarcity, making me feel an urge to book quickly. 
but it also annoys me and makes me more likely to check out Airbnb. A much better application is to simply show one or two sold out options and then a host of other available options. Scarcity, as I've said plenty of times before on Nudge, is a powerful way to make people act. We're more likely to want something if we know it's a scarce resource. Which made me wonder, should we limit the availability of our products? Should I create a course but only let 300 people buy? Would limiting access inspire scarcity? I asked Thomas. So there's this other research, which is very interesting, about the use of scarcity as limiting the quantity or limiting the time uh, that a product is available for. Now, what this research found is that if you limit the quantity of products that are available and people come and try to buy it, but then are unable to buy it because you already sold out, they are disappointed. They're often angry. And if you have limited the quantity, they take that anger out on you, on you, the business, on you, the brand. And what the research found is that then they're going to move on and they're much more likely to move to a competitor, start buying from that competitor, and that's it. You've lost a customer. Instead, if you use a limited time offer, people don't blame you. They blame themselves. So it's a much safer option to keep it that way rather than limiting the quantity of products. Of course, in some situations, such as in the luxury market or some specific launches, it might make sense to you know, launch a limited number of products, especially in terms of awareness, to build that up. But be really careful when you do that. The way I like to think of it is to question if limiting access to your product could conceivably improve the experience. Let's use an example. Ocean Gate's five-person submarine that went down to see the Titanic had naturally limited access. They can't take more than five people because the submarine would be too heavy. It would also be a much worse experience to have more than five people crammed inside that tiny sub. Folks were happy to pay $250,000 for this despite its limited access because they knew the limited access added to the quality of the experience. Who would want to be in that tiny sub with, with 10 people, for example? Now, we now know that that decision wasn't the smartest, but perhaps that feeling of scarcity made people more likely to buy that experience, even with the clear potential risk. Whereas, if I'm selling a book, for example, but I only make 250 copies available, this effect just won't work as well. Limiting the sales of a book doesn't increase quality. It doesn't give people a better reading experience. It probably just makes people a little annoyed. They're not getting a better book or a better experience. Limiting access doesn't improve the product. Instead, Thomas suggests doing a time-limited promotion. For my imaginary book, I should perhaps sign the first 250 copies or offer free one-to-one -one training for the first 50 buyers. This will boost sales and it won't trigger reactants. So quick recap. Show product views and sales next to your goods. Keep 30% of sold out items visible and use time limited promotions, but not access limited promotions for most of your products. But that's not all. Thomas has two more tips for you. And one of them genuinely surprised me. Here are those after this quick break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. 
Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Here's something I've never thought about before. Where price should appear in relation to your product. I mean, literally where the price should appear on the page. Should we stick the price above the product? Should it be next to the product? Or perhaps it should be below the product? It's honestly something I've never considered, and I've never assumed there was a right or wrong answer. But Thomas disagrees. He's found a study that suggests there is an optimal position to place your price. Yeah, this is some some beautiful research that came out in September 2020 in the Journal of Retailing. And what they, they tested was pretty straightforward. Should we put our prices above products or below them? Answer, put your prices below products. Always place your price below a product, not above it. In experiments, the same price for $2.49 dental floss seemed 9% lower when it was positioned below the product. And this led to some pretty extreme effects in some of the experiments. For example, in a liquor store, sales were about 35% higher when prices were shown below the bottles rather than above. Now, why? Uh, This is very interesting. We, you know, as we grow up in our lives, we, we have a lot of uh, metaphors that are that are ingrained in, uh, in how we think. And one of them, a crucial one, is that down is less and up is more. So when we see a price above a product, we think up more. If we see it below a product, we think, oh, it's down there. So it's probably less. So we make that association and the price feels lower than what it actually is. This 2020 paper called The Upside of Down found that people considered the same price for dental floss to be 9% lower when that price was positioned below the product. As Thomas said, in a physical liquor store, sales were 35.2% higher when the prices were shown below the bottles. Clearly, if you run an e-commerce site, this is worth a test. In fact, how you position your product on your sales page can significantly influence customer satisfaction. Different research by Sevilla and Townsend in 2016 identified what they called the space-to-product effect. Their research encouraged website designers to increase the empty space between their products on their website. They said you should make sure items are spaced out and not right next to each other. In experiments, this technique of spacing out items increased how much people liked and valued a product by 11.4%, and it almost doubled sales. Why? Well, when products are spaced out from one another, it's easier for people to identify them and mentally process each object. This makes them seem more attractive, so people value them more. Visuals and design clearly impact sales. But it got me wondering, does it work for marketing copy? 
Should we reposition our ads to place the copy, the text we're writing, at the top or the bottom? I asked Thomas. There's another similar metaphor and association when it, when it comes to, to messaging and where you should write your messages. So let's say this is on an ad. You have an image or a billboard. Should you write your text above or below the image? Now, what this research found is that if your message is emotional, if it has to do with uh, yeah, emotions, how you, you feel about a product, maybe with joy, that it makes it exciting, you're better off writing the message at the bottom. Why? Because the lower part is associated with the heart and emotions. That's how we think. If the message is rational, so it's it's very, these are the available features. This is why it's obvious that you buy this car because it's very safe. Then it's better that you write that message at the top because we associate up with brain and rationality. And they saw that messages were more, much more effective through that. And, and one very strong example of this was uh, this, this quite famous poster of Obama's campaign called Hope, which would say hope right below. And we don't know if this is a coincidence or done on purpose, but they wrote hope in the lower part of the poster. That probably made the message more effective. For joy, inspirational and positive messages, write it towards the bottom of your design. For rational messages, write it at the top of your design. There's one last study that I'll leave you with today, and it's another study from Thomas's brilliant e-commerce playbook. And it's an incredibly simple way to make your product more attractive. Make it shiny. Seriously, I know it sounds like I'm taking the mic, but this is real research published in December 2022 called Drawn to the Gloss. Adding a reflection on a product in a product image, for example, on an ad, increases how much people like it, which boosts how likely they are to buy it. As part of three experiments, participants were shown images of a table lamp, one with and one without a reflection. They judged the one with a reflection to be 17% more attractive. They were also asked to judge images of a bookshelf with or without a reflection. The images with the reflection was considered 16% in better condition and 23% more attractive. Plus, people said they were 32% more likely to buy it. Thomas writes in his newsletter that this attraction to shiny objects is one of our core human instincts. Why? Because of water. We've always needed to look for clean, pure, shiny, fresh water to survive. So if all else fails, add a bit of gloss to your product picture. And who knows, maybe I'll create a shiny version of the Nudge logo. I didn't celebrate when Nudge hit 1 million downloads, but I did use that number in today's episode. And this isn't by accident. I hope that by highlighting how many people have listened to the show, I'll benefit from the same study Thomas shared at the start. I hope that this episode title will make people more likely to tune in. Whether it does or doesn't, I'll let you know in my newsletter. To see the results, head to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter to subscribe. If you do, you'll get a behavioural science tip every Friday. But the newsletter you definitely need to check out is Ari. Just search A-R-I-Y-H to find it. It's Thomas's brilliant weekly newsletter with practical advice on how to apply the latest marketing research. And if you like today's show, you'll love Thomas's recent e-commerce playbook. Today, we've covered five of his e-commerce tips, but the playbook has 69 more recommendations to follow. If you sell anything online, you'd be stupid not to read this playbook. 
I've dropped a link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out. As a reminder, before we go, the tips we covered today were to show product views and sales next to your goods, to keep 30% of sold out items visible, to use time limited promotions, not access limited promotions for most products, to place your price below your product, to place rational messages on top of an ad, and if all else fails, make your product shiny. That's all for today's episode of Nudge. Thank you for listening. I was genuinely shocked when I looked at that total play number and I had no idea it was that high. So thank you all so much for tuning in. And I promise when Nudge hits 2 million downloads, you will know about it. Cheers.